Well, we've been uh, learning from Jesus about Jesus. Jesus has been teaching us about Jesus. I hope you brought your Bible because um, what's happening in the last three weeks is we've been letting Jesus teach us whether or not he claimed to be God. That's where we're at in the Bible. And let me start by asking you this question. Has there ever been a time you had to prove to somebody that you were you? Anybody? Have you ever had to prove to somebody that you were actually you? Uh, I went to the DMV when I was in college because my wallet got stolen and I didn't have a driver's license anymore. So I went to the DMV. (laughs) Every good story begins with, I went to the DMV and... (laughs) So there I was and I looked back then, you know, way back in the 90s. uh, You had to bring like this stack of stuff to the DMV to prove to them that you are who you're saying you are. And you have to pick like one thing out of list one and two things out of list two and three things out of list three. And if you don't bring those exact things, you can't get anything from them. So I showed up and I had like my electric bill and my social security card and like fingerprints and like one of the ancient wonders of the world. You know, like whatever they needed me to bring, I showed up. Waited my turn, walked up to the counter, and I said, I'd like, I'd like a driver's license. Mine got stolen. She gave me this look. She gave me this look like, oh, you're going to have to prove to me that you are who you're saying you are. So I gave her the electric bill, and I I gave her the address, and I gave her the Social Security card, and she picked it all up and started looking at it and looking at me, looking at it, looking at me. She said, all right, fill out this little application here. So I started filling it out, and at the end, I had to sign my name. Well, she picked up the application, and she picked up the Social Security card, which I had signed like when I was born. And, and she goes like this. Sorry, they don't match, sir. The signatures don't match. It's like, okay, I'm me. She's like, you have to prove it. I said, well, how do I prove it? And she goes, make this look like that. So she handed me another blank application. So now I had to fill it out. And then when I got to the signature part, I was like, oh boy. If I don't get this right, mama's going to be driving me around for the rest of my life. (laughs) So I'm looking at my own signature. I'm forging my own signature. Like I had figured out dad's signature. I had never practiced forging my own. Every hook, every curve, every dot. And then I, with trembling hands, handed her the application. And she held them up again. She said, all right, I'll let you have a license. Please take a seat. It'll be ready in a few minutes. And I was like... Hallelujah! I'm me! (laughs) How uncomfortable that was for me to have to prove to someone that I was me. Well, Jesus has to prove to us he's himself. Often, we're looking at him and saying, Who are you? Prove to us who you are. And in the Bible, there were several times where Jesus said, here's who I am. And there are many ways he proved he is who he said he is. For the last three weeks, the question has been very simple. Did Jesus claim to be God? And the first week, we learned that Jesus claimed to be an eternal being who has existed from the beginning of time and even before that, like God alone. Last week, we learned that Jesus claimed and demonstrated that he was omniscient, knowing everything, omnipotent, being able to do everything, and omnipresent everywhere at the same time. Okay, find that one on our website if you want to hear it for yourself. Those three things are true of only God. If they're true of Jesus, 
Today we're going to take a different angle at it. Was Jesus God? Well, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, the only Son of God the Father. Let's pray, and then we'll look at how this is a claim that Jesus made to be God. Father above, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that your word is powerful, and we ask that it would speak to us this morning. Help us to hear from you, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, the book of John chapter 1. Let me give you fair warning that we're going to be in many different passages today. This isn't normally how I preach. Usually we pick one place and we stay there and we just walk verse by verse through the passage. But today you're going to get a little whiplash as I steer you around the book of John. So just stretch out your neck a little bit because you might want to even flex your fingers because you're going to need... But have your Bible open to the book of John. We're going to go to different places here. But in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Apostle John makes an amazing declaration. He says this, and the word, we know that's Jesus, became flesh. Meaning he came down from heaven and became human and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the, listen, only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John presents Jesus as the only one of a kind, unique son of God, the son of God. Which means you can write this down in your bulletin. Jesus was an only child. Go ahead and fill that in. Jesus was an only child. It says it elsewhere too. We'll put it up on the screen. You know this verse. But John 3.16, here it is. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his... Now hold on, hold on. Say this word a little louder. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Here it is again later in that same passage, uh, John 3, 18. Say this with me. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus is an only child. Raise your hand up if you were an only child growing up. Raise your hand. Come on, only children. Raise them up nice and high. Come on, don't be shy. Okay. Let me just tell you that you have a reputation, okay? You have a reputation. There's some stereotypes that are attached to you. Some people say you're spoiled because your parents got to give everything to only you, to direct all of their love to you. You didn't have to learn to share. You didn't have to learn to fight for toys. You didn't have to count Christmas presents to make sure that you weren't shortchanged. You were an only child. You never got called by the wrong name. You're an only child. Jesus is an only child. Jesus shares an exclusive, unbreakable, eternal bond with God the Father. He is, in this sense, one with God or united to God. But I'm not saying he's united to God like God's the motorcycle and Jesus is like the sidecar and there's like a screw connecting them. I'm not saying Jesus is an outside attachment to God. Jesus is identical in activity. Jesus is equal in nature. Jesus is fused in essence and therefore he is inseparably one 
with God the Father, making him God the Son. It's something that's only true of Jesus Christ, making Jesus the one of a kind, only child, Son of God. Write this down. I'm going to unpack this a little bit of what it means for Jesus to be the only one like this. Write write this down. Only Jesus is eternally one with the Father. Write that down. Only Jesus is eternally one with the Father. In John chapter 1, verse 18, you can go ahead and look there. John chapter 1, verse 18, it says this. No one has ever seen God. Okay, a little poll here. Survey says, raise up your hand if you've ever seen God with your own eyes. Go ahead and put it up nice and high. Tall, seen God with your own eyes. Nobody? You're right, nobody. Nobody throughout all history of all humanity can say, saw him, saw him. Like even Moses, when he's like, show me your glory. God's like, okay, I'll tuck you into this rock, put my hand over you, cover it up. Then after I pass by, you can't see me. You can like see the swoosh like that follows me. Like somebody said, it's like God's afterburn is all Moses could see because otherwise he would die. Nobody gets to see God. Jesus here has the audacity. Well, the book of John has the audacity to say no one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. At the Father's side, literally it's it's bosom, it's, it's close to the Father. He's made him known because he is in this proximity to God like no one else. Being at the Father's side means intimacy. It means mutual love. It means knowledge. It means there's a relationship there that no one else shares. Jesus is eternally one with the Father. John 5.18, we'll put it up on the screen, says this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father making himself equal to God. Meaning it's not just like God's my father, God's your father, God's our father. This was a newer concept. He was saying, I am the son, one of a kind, of God, my father. Only Jesus can say he has this relationship. Now this implies equality. Because I'm the biological, same DNA son of God, It means I'm equal to God, but it also implies distinction. In other words, the Son is not the Father. You see, the Father did not die on the cross for your sins. The Holy Spirit does not reign up on high like God the Father. They have different roles. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. But the Father is 100% God. The Son is 100% God. The Spirit is 100% God. They are a triune God. Three persons, one being, one essence. I don't fully understand that. I can explain it. I can believe it. I don't fully understand it. All I know is the Bible reveals that Jesus has a -a one-of-a-kind, united relationship with God the Father. He is therefore one with the Father. Jesus shares an eternal face-to-face fellowship with God. He has undiminished equality with God. When I think of one of a kind, I think of something that I recently saw. There can really probably only be one of these in the entire universe. So check this out. Here's a picture. This is a grandfather clock wristwatch. Those of you men who are maybe looking for something new, 
so that you can stand out among your peers, putting your Christmas list together. Put this at the top of the list. It is a grandfather clock wristwatch. (laughs) There's probably only one of those in the whole world. When you see something that's one of a kind, it attests to its value. Uh, It's desirable. Supply and demand, there's one. Only one person gets it. When you think of one of a kind, think of Jesus, because only he has this relationship to God the Father. Let me explain a few nuances here. Here's three sub-points that unpack how Jesus was eternally one with the Father. You can write this down. He's the only one with this, an unobstructed view of God. Write that down. He's the only one with an unobstructed view of God. How many people can see God? None. But guess what Jesus claimed? We'll put it up on the screen. John 6, 46. Here's John 6, 46. He says, Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Jesus has an unobstructed view of God. All right, how many of you have been to a football game or a hockey game or a basketball game recently? Raise up your hand. You've been to a... Okay, raise up your hand if you have have at some point in your past, you're convinced you have had the worst seat in a stadium or an auditorium. (laughs) You were so far away, or there was something or someone in front. You had the worst view in the whole place. All right, right? Here's a picture. This is obstructed view, number one. How much money would you pay for that seat? How much money would you pay for that seat? Here's the next one. Obstructed view. You're not going to enjoy the game sitting there. Here's the third one. Obstructed view. I can't see anything. I can't see the pitcher. I can't see the catcher. I can't see anything. It's the worst view in the whole place. Now listen, every human has a fully obstructed view of God. You can't see God. Okay, If you're a Star Trek fan, you know this technology has a name. Somehow God figured out before you came into this world, he figured out cloaking technology. All right? God is cloaked so that you cannot see him. You can't see him. There are times in the Old Testament where God decides to, like, show up in the form of a person. And and just out of nowhere, he just, like, pushes the decloak button. And... Scares people have to die. Whoa, there was somebody who wasn't there and now he's there. What is it called? It's called cloaking, right? God's got this part of himself. He's hidden. You can't see him. You've never seen him. So if Jesus comes up and says, I've seen him, it makes him one of a kind. He has a one of a kind, unobstructed view of God the Father. I've seen him. I've seen him, he says. This makes him different from you because you see the Bible says that you and I are spiritually blind at birth. We're born blind. We're not seeing spiritual things until he opens our eyes. The Bible says we're ignorant. We just don't know the truth about God. But Jesus comes along and says he has a full comprehensive, first-hand knowledge of God. He has an unobstructed view of God. It makes him one of a kind. Here's the second one. You can write this down. He's the only one with an unbroken bond with God. He's the only one with an unbroken 
bond with God. This makes him really special and one of a kind as well. Uh, we'll put the verses up on the screen. John 7, 28 to 29. Here they are. It says this. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me and you know where I came from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. Listen, I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Maybe you could dazzle us all by coming up, getting on the microphone, and telling us who you know. Oh, guess who I know? I know this famous politician, or I know this actor or actress, or I know this, you know, guess who I know? And name dropping is what it's called. If you can name drop, you somehow get like some big points with people around you. Oh, guess who he knows or she knows? Jesus said, I know God. I know him. I know him. I came from him. I know him. Personal, firsthand, one-of-a-kind knowledge of God the Father. When I think of the line, I know him, I think of the movie Elf. Have you seen the movie Elf, right? You know where I'm going with this. But he finds this little job in a shopping mall, right? And then the, the manager shows up and gets out and says, Kids, guess who's coming tomorrow? Santa! And here's a picture from the movie. And then Buddy the Elf screams out. What does he say? What does he say? Come on. Santa! And then he looks and he says what? I know him. Came from the North Pole. I know him. Okay. If someone came up to you, a grown man came up to you and said, I know Santa. I know him. That person would get quite a look from you. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you, oh, you don't believe? Huh? Call in the stocking. I'm going to tell him. If someone comes up to you and says, I know God. I know him. And I don't mean like the way we say it today. I mean like he sent me here. I was there with him. I've seen him. I know him. Crazy look. Jesus claimed to have a one-of-a-kind, unobstructed view of God, and he claimed to have an unbroken bond with God. Did you write that down? An unbroken bond with God. I know him. I come from him. John 17, 24 tells us the duration of this bond. We'll put that on the screen. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because, listen, you loved me before the foundation of the world. How long has this bond been intact between the Father and the Son? Uh, stretch your mind all the way back to the moment when everything sprang into being from nothing. And then, and then whatever is before that, there's a loving relationship in existence between the Father and the Son. It's never been broken. This makes Jesus different from you and me and everyone who's ever lived. You see, Jesus has never grieved God. Jesus has never walked away from God. Jesus has never damaged his relationship to God by sin or rebellion. Perhaps you've had a child who's broken your heart and walked away from the family. Perhaps you were that child who broke your parents' hearts and walked away from the family. The pain of severing a relationship, the agonizing wait for the child to come back that's true of every human between us and God we have broken that relationship the Bible says your sins have separated you from your God 
But Jesus has never been separated from his God. There's been an eternal, intact, loving relationship between the Father and the Son. Only Jesus has an unobstructed view of God. Only Jesus has an unbroken bond with God. Here's the next one. Only Jesus has an unmediated relationship to God. An unmediated relationship to God. What does this mean? This means when there is a hurt, when there is a, uh, when there's some problem in a relationship, usually there has to be some mediator who comes along and stands between the two warring parties to try and bring about peace. We see this in our own world in several places. If you have perhaps gone through a painful divorce, uh, there's court-ordered mediation where you have to sit in a room and you and your spouse have to have someone between you trying to reach agreements on a hundred different points before you go before the judge and the judge basically says, looks good to me, done. Okay, that's called mediation. Someone sitting between a divided party trying to bring about an understanding. It's a mediator. Mediator can also exist in the business world. Perhaps if there's a lawsuit, they will say, well, let's go to arbitration first. We're going to have two parties or businesses sit down and come to an understanding before we legally enact this agreement. It's called a mediator, called arbitration. Um, Someone must stand in the gap between two warring parties and broker peace. And what's true of you and everyone in this room and everyone who's ever lived is there is a chasm between a holy God and a sinful person. Someone must stand in that gap and broker peace, become a mediator between a holy God and a sinful human. God can't look on sin. Who will stand in that gap? Well, Jesus has never needed a mediator between him and God, ever. No one must stand between him and God to connect him to God. Therefore, he becomes the mediator between all of humanity and God. Because he was 100% God, he is united to God in a special way. Because he became 100% man, he is united to our race. Only Jesus, the Son of God, can stand between you and God and broker peace. He's the only one. He's the only one with an unobstructed view of God, an unbroken bond with God, an unmediated relationship to God. Let's put up on the screen John 10, 30 to 33. Here we go. John 10, 30 to 33. Jesus says this, I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answer him, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, listen, make yourself God. I and the Father are one. The fact that he claimed to be a -a one-of-a-kind son of a father, they knew exactly what he was saying. You, a mere man, make yourself God. So, first, Jesus was an only child. Second, only Jesus is eternally one with the Father. The unobstructed view, the unbroken bond, the unmediated relationship. He's the only one. So write this down. Jesus is perfectly united to God in four ways. What does it mean that he's the only one? Well, there's four ways. You can write this down. First, he's perfectly united to God in word. In word. He is the supreme source of truth. He's not just a footnote in the margins of your belief system. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. 
He's the full and final revelation of God in word. Second, in deeds. The cross, the plan, the miracles. Jesus' deeds are God's deeds. He's perfectly united to God in these ways. Which is why C.K. Barrett says, the deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. Here's the third one. Jesus is perfectly united to God in judgment. In judgment. He alone is authorized to render a verdict on your soul, on my soul, and on everyone's soul throughout history. He's perfectly united to God in judgment. And finally, in obedience or will. In other words, he's a role model to us, the fallen race of Adam. He perfectly obeys the Father just as a good son. He's a one of a kind. And that gives him a title that no one else has, the Son of God. Let me share some verses with you that prove these four things. John 5.19, we'll put up on the screen. John 5.19, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Also John 10, 37 to 39, says this, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. John 12, 44 to 50 says this, Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me, listen, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say, as the Father has told me. Jesus is perfectly united to God in word, in deeds, in judgment, in obedience, and in will. Since this is true, since Jesus is this Son of God, He alone can make you into something that you need to become. You can write this down for the third point. First was Jesus is an only child. Second, only Jesus is eternally one with the Father. Here's the third main point. Jesus alone can unite us to God. Jesus alone can unite us to God. Let me put it another way. Jesus is the only point of access a human can find to a holy God. He's the only hot spot that connects us to the heavenly realms. He's the only place that we can find a signal to reach God. Okay, if you have a cell phone, you know exactly what it means to be looking at your phone and to see it say no signal. In fact, we've got a picture here. This is a cell phone. You can barely see it. But there up in the upper left-hand corner, it says no service. If you've ever seen someone walking around like this. Okay, how many of you honestly raise up your hand if you've been this person? Raise up your hand if you've been. I've been this person. I've been this person. You walk around. You spin around. You try it all the way down to the floor. You try it all the way up to the ceiling. You go, whoa, I found it. This is the magic spot. 
I can't even move the phone because this is the spot. I'm going to lean into the phone right here. Don't touch me. I will lose the signal. Having a signal and not having a signal determines whether or not you find a connection. And Jesus, because he's connected to God, he's the only one who can connect you to God. He's the only place where you can make contact with the holy God. There's nowhere else you can go to pick up a signal that unites you to God. John 3.17 says this, put that up on the screen, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He came into the world to save you, to connect you to God. We believe a lot of wrong things about God, and it doesn't matter how well-meaning we are. I heard a pastor say something recently that really struck me to the heart. He's, he said, you know, if I, if I get home to my wife and I take her out for breakfast and sit across from her and say, babe, you just need to know that you light me up. I'm just so crazy attracted to you. I mean, you're just your green eyes, the way that they sparkle, and your curly brown hair. When I was away, I was just thinking about you and the things that were going through my mind. If we weren't married, it would be sin. You know, and so I just wanted to tell you how mad I am about you. And he said, I can do all that, but guess what? My wife has blonde hair, blue eyes. <laughs> he was making this point. If I attribute things to my wife that are not true about my wife, she will be deeply insulted, hurt, and I'm sleeping on the couch for a year. <laughs> the same is true of your God. If you believe things about God that are not true about God, it offends him deeply. It wounds him. It provokes him. Just try and have somebody come up to you and be like, you're a, you're a lousy, lying, cheating, no good scoundrel. I can't believe it. Th-. And you're like, that's not true of me. Right? You're not going to be like, okay, add all that to who I am. I'm just going to be good with that. Sure, sure, you can add things to me. I'm fine with that. Yeah, not a chance. Deeply offended and provoked to anger if someone attributes to you things that you are not. And yet we have the nerve to say, well, if I believe this genuinely of God, it's true. And the sincerity with which I believe this thing to be true about God means you can't tell me any other thing because I really believe it. Okay, if you really believe things about God that are not true about God, you are really deeply provoking and insulting God because you're treating him like another God. So when I say Jesus alone can unite us to God, if that offends you in any way, you have to understand that God wants you to know the truth, that only his son can save you. A pastor said something like this, dying will not take you to a better place. Jesus will take you to a better place if he has died in your place. The only hope you have of going to heaven and being with God forever is if you connect to the one who is connected to God. It's your only hope. Jesus alone can unite us to God. Well, why? Why? What makes him so special? Well, write this down. He alone can reveal the Father. He alone can reveal the Father. We just read John 12, 45, where Jesus said, Jesus said, I've seen him. Jesus said, whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Listen again. Whoever sees me, Jesus says, sees him who sent me. Jesus said this to Thomas too, right? Thomas is like, Lord, show us the Father. 
Thomas should have just kept his mouth shut, right? Like, he got into the Bible, show us the Father. And Jesus is like, have I been with you this long, Thomas? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're one. Looking at me is looking at God. Jesus, therefore, is the full and final disclosure of God to humanity. Hebrews 1, uh, verse 1, it says, Long ago, in many ways, in many times, God spoke, teaches you about your Old Testament, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his what? Through his Son. He's the final revelation of God. He is the disclosure of God. He can reveal the Father. Last week, we learned that Jesus is omniscient. What does omniscient mean? It means Jesus knows everything about everything. You can find the sermon online if you don't believe me. Go to the website. It's right there. You just press play and off it goes. I looked up last week the hardest college courses in the entire nation. Those of you who think you're so smart, go ahead and write these down. Try taking thermodynamics at Purdue University. 50% of the class will get a C or less. 50% C or less, maybe a B. C or less, maybe a B minus. C or less, maybe a B plus. It's thermodynamics. Go ahead and try and take it. Try and take Math 55 at Harvard. It will cost you, just for that one class alone, 25 to 60 hours of homework per week. One class, 25 to 60 hours of homework per week. What are you doing, math? How long have you been doing it? 55 hours. Are you done? Five hours left. <gasps> math 55 at Harvard. Go ahead and take it. Or if you're more into uh, the arts, you could go to University of Wisconsin and uh, make believe you can take elvish language from Lord of the Rings. You could learn to speak like an elf. Those are three of the hardest classes apparently in the nation. But let me tell you this. The fact that Jesus is omniscient means he can show up to Math 55 and say, give me the test, the final now. He can ace it day one. He can show up to thermodynamics and ace it day one. He could speak elf if he wanted to. I made Tolkien. I could do it. He's omniscient. And we covered all that last week, but listen... This week, we even take it to a new level. Jesus knows everything about God. I think if I had to attach a percentage to how much I really know about God, I'd be nervous of making it a positive number. Like, I'd think, add up everything that I know, and then I'm probably wrong on some stuff. So I'd like take it a negative like 0.1% or something just to be safe. I can only know what God has kind of showed me, right? Jesus knows everything that can be known about God. Everything. So he's the only one who can reveal the Father. Who else are you going to trust to teach you a thing or two about the spiritual realm or the being known as God or what he's like? Jesus knows everything about him. 
Only Jesus can reveal the Father. Someone said this, only one who fully knows the Father can make him fully known. Jesus alone can unite us to God because he alone can reveal the Father. Here's the next one. Jesus alone can welcome us into the divine family. Write that down. Jesus alone can welcome us into the divine family. This idea of knowing God as Father is actually quite rare in the Bible. Um, God's really only called Father in the Old Testament like 15 times. Okay, it's pretty rare. And, and God's called Father of like the nation of Israel. And so pretty rare usage of God as Father. So when Jesus showed up and started saying, He's my Father, I'm His only Son, people were really freaked out about that. Okay, but then He started talking to people as if they could call God their Father. See, because he wants you to come to know God as your father. He wants to welcome you into the divine family. And we have some wrong things. We've been taught about this. You might say to yourself, I thought we were all children of God. I thought we were every one of us. I thought all... That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, in the book of John, when John talks about how we can become uh, children of God, he doesn't use the word son. In John's theology, we can become children of God only by the Son of God. Right? He's the only biological, spiritually biological child of God. And he sets us free from slavery and he makes us children of God. And do you know how the Bible says that that happens? Well, John 1, verse 12 to 13. We'll put that up on the screen. John 1, 12 to 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Whoever were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Meaning if you want to know God as your father, you have to be born again into his spiritual family. Meaning none of you were born with God as your father. Nobody. Only Jesus. You have to be reborn into the family of God at a point in time in your life. That's how John talks about it. Now Paul's a little different. Paul actually will call you sons of God. He uses the word sons because sons had a greater share of the inheritance than daughters. He says, you're all sons of God. But guess what? There's a difference between you and the son of God. Because in Paul's theology, you're all adopted children. You're not a biological, eternal child of God. You weren't born a child of the father. You were at some point in time adopted into his family because of his love. Now, when we think of the word family... Maybe you have some weird members in your family. But the word family is something that God wants you to think of when you think of your relationship to him. Right? Family. Family's like for life. Cousins and uncles and mom and dad. And it's like family. We're family, right? I, I saw some pictures recently of family and they tried to show how this family has grown up and been family over time. So they took a picture when they were kids and then they took the exact same picture when they were grown-ups. You want to see it? Here's the first one. Family photos. There's a father with his son. And much later in life, the same father with the same son. Family. Here's the next one. Mom with her three boys. Three boys on the top. Same three boys on the bottom. A little heavier. Here's the third one. Three brothers. Let's go get some pictures taken of my three boys. Let's go get the same pictures taken when we're older. Family. Family photos. When you think of family, you think of a bond. You think of a bond that, you know, can't be broken. It's my mom. You know, there's my brother and we're family and 
And listen, God wants you to be in his family. He wants you to be of the household of God. But you have to believe what he says in his word about getting into his family. Okay, and the first thing you have to believe is you're not born in his family. You could be around his family. Your parents could be members of his family. You can enjoy the comforts of being in his house, so to speak. The only way you can become a true child of God is by being born again, by being adopted by his love at a point in time in your life. I thought everyone was a child of God. I thought we were all his children. He loved us equally. Okay, what did Jesus have to say about that? Jesus had to say in John 8, 44 to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. Okay, it's not every day someone tells you this. But this is what Jesus told the Pharisees that day. You think God is your father, but your spiritual parent is the enemy. Your spiritual parent, who you're related to, who you'll be related to forever, the relatives you will be with forever, uh, are the devil and his angels and the people he's led astray. That's your family. That's your kin. That's, That's your picture right now. And those are the people you're going to be with forever and it's not going to be in heaven. This is a strong word to people who've been told, we're all children of God. Uh, False. False. None of us are born children of God. There comes a point in your life where you understand only the Son can set me free. And God wants me in His family. And God sent His Son to save me. But if I think I'm in... And I'm not. I've been lied to. Only Jesus can reveal the Father. Only Jesus can welcome us into his divine family. Only 15 times in the Old Testament God's called Father. But you know in the Gospels alone, 160 times the word Father is used of God. God wants you to know his fatherly love for you. He wants you to be in his family. The papers are already filled out and waiting. But it has to be by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that you enter his family. And let me be clear with you. You must believe God is a father who has a son that saved the world or you can't be in his family. John 15, 23, we'll put it up on the screen. Jesus said this, whoever hates me hates my father also. Your relationship with God is identical to your relationship with Jesus. There is no difference. And so write this down. Here's the last point. He alone can unite us to God forever. Only Jesus can reveal the Father, welcome us into the divine family. He alone can unite us to God forever. Jesus is distinct. Before the foundation of the world, he had an eternal bond of love with God. He was God with God who became man that man might be bound up in love with God forever. That's why he came, to bring you to God. And only God the Son can do this. Let me just close by saying this. These are four verses that show what your response has to be to this. In John 20, 31, he says, These are written so that you may believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Acts 9, 20 Immediately after Paul was saved, he proclaimed in the synagogue saying, Jesus is the Son of God. 1 John 4.15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, 
God abides in him and he in God. 1 John 5.12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. An angel called Jesus the Son of God to Mary. Nathaniel called him the Son of God. Martha, Peter, the disciples, John the Baptist, the high priest, the Jews said it to Pilate. It was illegal. It was blasphemous. Even the hecklers passing by the cross said it. The centurion said it. The demon said it. Satan himself said it. He's the Son of God. Do you say it? Do you say it? I want to give you a chance right now to admit the truth about Jesus. No more confusion. No more delay. No more excuses. Jesus is the Son of God who alone can save you. I want to give you the chance to call upon him to set you free. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray together. Lord, your word is so clear. Did Jesus claim to be God? Yes. Father, we know you have one son and only child who you sent to rescue us. We were enemies. We were slaves. We were blind. We were ignorant. We were dead. We were deaf. We were lame. But you sent your son, born of a virgin. You sent your son, light of the world. You sent your son, your only son, who you loved. You saw him beaten. You saw him kicked. You saw him spit on. You saw him whipped. You saw him nailed to a cross. But there you poured out the penalty for all sins upon him. Thank you that because your son was man, he could die in our place. But thank you that because he was God, on the third day he rose again and ascended into your glorious presence where he is worshipped today by people and angels alike. Lord, I pray for those in this room who do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord, as the Son of God. Pray that they would face the truth of their current spiritual parenthood. Pray that it would be an appalling insulting reality but that they would recognize it's true show them that you want them in your family that you sent the son to free them as a slave to welcome them as adopted children and Lord I pray that if any are ready that they would in their own hearts repeat after me Father in heaven I have broken your heart I have broken your law I've strayed from you, and I don't deserve to be with you forever. But I understand your son died in my place and came to rescue me. I ask Jesus that you would save me from my sins. I ask God that you would forgive me for my sins. I ask that you would show me that I'm now an adopted child, loved forever. Fill me with this reassurance. Fill me with this encouragement. Never leave me, never forsake me. Father, I pray that those who agreed with that in my heart, perhaps for the first time today, would understand that for the first time in their entire lives, they can rightly say to you, Father. And may they know your love, that you will never cast them away. The promise you've made, that you will be with them forever. May they live in hope as you change them each day. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.